Well, great, big, beautiful good morning to you. Welcome to Bearden, to Roan County, to Ampton Blend as well. Back there we say hi to you. Welcome. Glad to be together this morning. It's going to be a great week. The weather's turning. Have you, have you heard about it? It's going to get warmer today. I'm going to put on some short sleeve shirts. Hey, this is a big week in the life of the church, big week in the life of uh, the story of Christ himself. I hope you'll join us on Friday this week as we're going to spend some time remembering the cross and what it meant and what happened for us on the cross there as Jesus went there for us. And then next weekend again, Easter weekend, big week ahead of us. And this whole week really culminates in a, in, in a reality that we're going to talk about today, which is the resurrection. But it's, it's encompassed in this massive story called the redemption story. God's redemption story. God's redemption story started all the way back in the book of Genesis and will go all the way in and through the book of Revelation. And this beautiful story that he's been painting and, and describing for us throughout the entire Bible is a story that Jesus is a central figure in. In fact, at the very beginning of creation, it says the word was with God, the word was God. The word, meaning Jesus, spoke the world into existence. He was a part of creation. Jesus has always been a part of this great redemption story. And then he stepped into creation, actually initiated and stepped into creation in what we call the incarnation as he came to this world as a human being, as a baby, and grew up to be a man. And as he grew up to be a man, he gathered a bunch of people to himself, some followers, and he had an earthly ministry for three or four years. And then in that, at the end of that earthly ministry, he moved toward Jerusalem, and we know the story there. We're going to unpack it more and more this week. As he moved in to Jerusalem, he was arrested, beaten, murdered, died, was buried, and then he rose to life and came back to life, just as he said he would. And then he says to them, it's better that I go away from, from you, because he was, he was in one place at one time. He said, it's better that I go. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you. And he sent the Holy Spirit to be with us. And he said... I'll return one day, and I'm going to come back in physical form and actually create and establish the new heavens and the new earth. That's the entire picture. That's the entire redemption story in a nutshell. And critical to this story, and I think the most important part of this story, the most significant event that took place where everything else hinges on is the resurrection of Jesus. It's the resurrection of Jesus. It's, it's Christ saying and doing what he said he was going to do and then came back and did exactly that. And when he came back... He came back in physical form. When he, when he came back from the dead, he came back in physical form. He was raised to life in a physical reality. And I know you know that. And if you've been around church for a while, you go, okay, well, tell me something new. But I don't know that we, I don't know that we grasp it. I don't know that we wrap our minds around the fact that Jesus is physically alive. Like, I want you to do this. This isn't just something I'm saying from the front of the room. And so here at home, in our venues, across the space, I want you to go out, grab your hand. Grab your hand and pull at the skin on your hand a little bit. Just pull at it. Do it. That's, that's Jesus physically alive still at the right hand of the Father. He physically rose from the dead, ascended, and has a physical presence and will return one day in physical form. That's an incredible reality, a reality that we set our hope on. And so this series that we're, we're launching into this week and next, a two-week series on three days. On three days, the third day. Three days in the third day have a pretty significant um, a, a pretty significant reality all throughout the scriptures. Whenever the third day is referred to, it's talking about the reality of when redemption came. The third day throughout the scripture is the day in which redemption came. Hosea the prophet, he spoke of the third day way back in the Old Testament. He says in Hosea chapter 6, Come let us return to the Lord, for he's torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he'll bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will rise up, 
and we'll live with him forever and we'll be before him. This is a theme that plays out all throughout the redemption story. The third day. Redemption happens on the third day. Remember back in the Old Testament, Genesis, when Abraham was asked to take Isaac up on a mountain and sacrifice him? It was the third day that Jesus, that God provided a ram, a substitute for for Isaac, and a ram was provided. It was on the third day where the people of of Israel had had been in part of the Exodus, and in, in Exodus chapter 19, it's the third day that God appears to them. It was the third day when Joseph, remember Joseph had his brothers imprisoned? It was on the third day that Joseph released his brothers and set them free. It was the third day that Jonah was in the belly of a fish. Remember that story? The belly of a fish for three days and three nights. And it was on the third day that he was released and let go. And it's the same third day in Jonah's existence that Jesus points to in Matthew when he talks about his resurrection. Just as Jonah was in the, in the whale and the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the earth and he'll come back and rise to life. It's that third day reality, that third day theme that appears all throughout the scriptures and in this redemption story. And Paul connects all of these themes. Paul connects all these allusions and references to the third day. And the centrality of what he's saying is important about the resurrection in the life of believers. Folks, that's what we're called to. Third day, resurrection, redemption people. God's story is one of redemption. Yes, there'll be a time after three days when he'll come back and make things right, which he did. And which we'll celebrate on Easter this next week. A reminder and a foundational principle that can impact, not that can impact, that ought to and should impact the way we live our lives today. It's who God's called us to be. Here's the big idea for the weekend. It's just a reminder. If you're a believer and a follower of Jesus, here's the reminder for us this weekend. We are third-day people living God's redemption story. We're third-day people, and we're living in God's redemption story. And Paul wants to be sure that we get this. Paul wants to be sure the early church got this. He wrote to the church in Corinth. And if you have your Bibles, open your, book, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And, and, and then throughout this book, this letter to, to the, the people of Corinth, the followers of Jesus there, Paul wanted to be sure that they got it, that they understood that this resurrection reality was pretty significant. In fact, they were in a space where they were actually wrestling with the fact that people could be raised to life. They believed Jesus had been raised to life, but they started to question and doubt whether, in fact, people who were with them who had died would be raised to life with Christ. And so they started questioning and doubting this. And Paul writes to them, and, and I, want, I want you to hear this. He writes to them to be sure they've got clear thinking and good doctrine. Doctrine's not a bad word. It's a good word. It just means the truth the truth, we have a clear picture of, of, of who Jesus said he was, who Jesus says he is, and we wrap our minds and our hearts around that, and we hook our lives to that. And Paul's saying the same thing to the, the, the church at Corinth. He goes, you guys are getting messed up in your thinking. You're starting to wonder whether the resurrection is going to include you. It absolutely does include you. And he, he drills home, drills hard in right doctrine. And what he's saying to these early believers and to us as well, the truth of the gospel, it hinges on the third day. It hinges on the resurrection of Christ. Let's jump in. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. Get my breath. Getting fired up. This is good stuff. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and which and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received 
that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, last of all, as to the one untimely born, he appeared to also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed." What Paul's saying to these people and to us as well, he's saying the truth of the gospel hinges on the third day. It hinges on the third day. It hinges on the reality that Jesus did what he said he would do. Anyone could say, I'm going to go to the cross and die for your sins. Anyone could say that. And he went to the cross and died. But he said, to prove this so that you have no doubt or question that this took place, I'm going to go to the cross and die for your sins. And on the third day, I'm coming back. Anyone can't say that. Anyone can't do that. And this is why Jesus spent, we unpacked this a week or two ago, this is why Jesus spent some time on that third day with the disciples. Remember, he appeared in that room where they were back in Jerusalem, and he said, folks, it's me. It's really me. It's physically me. I've come back. Look, look at my feet. Look at my hands. Touch them. See them. He wanted them to know. Remember, he, he, he said, is there anything here to eat? And he sat before them and ate a piece of fish so that they could look at that fish and go, he physically took that fish in and now there's bones left on the plate. Jesus wanted them to be sure that they knew that they knew that they knew that he'd physically come back from the dead and he's physically alive. The redemption reality of the third day is the center of Paul's presentation of the gospel. He says, we are a people of the resurrection. We're third day people. I love the way Tim Keller puts it in a book called The Reason for God. Belief in an Age of Skepticism. It's a great title, too. He says, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't raise from the dead, then why worry about anything that he said? The issue of, on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. That's where everything hangs. That's where the issue is resolved. Paul reminds the believers here in Corinth that if Jesus did not rise from the dead, all this is vain. It's futile. He says our preaching is a waste of time. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you're wasting your time. If he didn't rise from the dead, nor will we. This is all just for this life. We're of all people, he'll say later, to be pitied if this is what we believe and think. That we'd be thinking in a preposterous way that God would actually love us and care care about us enough to pursue us and have a relationship with us. He says, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, none of that's true. But if it is true that Jesus did rise from the dead, just as he said he would, then no matter what we think or feel, no matter what you think or feel, whatever place you've come to some conclusion about that, the cross paid for, paid for every last sin that we've ever committed. That What Jesus said he did, he did. If you're an underliner and you want to know what the main part of this passage is, underline verses 3 and 4. We're going to hit them a couple more times. He says, For I delivered to you as first importance. First importance tells you right there. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Christ died for our sins. And what he's saying there is the resurrection is proof that what Jesus said he accomplished on the cross he accomplished on the cross. Third day followers of Jesus, we live in this truth, in this redemptive reality that our sins are forgiven. The death of Jesus 
was the ultimate and only payment that could be made for our sins, and Christ made it. We were dead, cut off, lost. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I know if you've been around church for any length of time, you go, all right, Mark, that's the gospel. Heard that, got that, we know that. And, and maybe, and this is the, this is the, uh, a, a doubt track that runs in my mind. Am I the only one that has to remind myself of this every day? The rest of you seem like you get it. Like, well, that's true. God died for my sins. I'm forgiven. Everything I've ever done has been taken care of. And yet I get up every day and I go, is that true? I got to remind myself, this is true. This is true. This is true. This is what God's done for me. And, and that's what it means to be a third day follower of Jesus, that we'd be a people who are, who are reminding ourselves that what God has done for us, that he, he's seen everything we've ever done and has forgiven us. I heard this years ago, and it, it's one of those lines that just runs around in my head. And the evil one's always trying to take away truth. And this is what somebody told me one time. If Satan can get you at the, at the point of your identity, he's home free. If he can convince me at the point of my identity that I'm not loved, that I'm not forgiven, then he's home free. And guess what that opens the door to? All the guilt and shame that Jesus went to the cross for. If he can get me there, he's home free. And at the heart of the gospel is the reality that Christ died for us. And he's forgiven us from our sins. I think humans are pretty interesting. I think we're... I think we're pretty interesting cats. I really do. I think we're fascinating. From, from the time we're born and, and the time we come out of the womb, we're looking for someone to see us, to know us, and accept us. Caregivers, if you've, if, if you've ever had a, a little one in your care, they're looking for someone to see them, know them, accept them. And all throughout our life, we're doing the same thing. See me, know me, accept me. And sometimes we find other people in the world who actually see us, know us, and accept us. In fact, the people who have longevity in our lives, the folks that we're still in relationship with, that we actually can trust and care about, are the people who've seen us at our worst and still show up the next day. Anybody have those folks in their life? Sadly enough, only a handful of us have those folks in our life. But what a beautiful picture for those folks who have those folks in their life. People that see you at your worst, show up, and, and see you at your worst, and still accept you and are part of your world and part of your existence. Jesus knows every, every, everything about you. There's not a thought or an idea. In fact, he knows you to be far worse than you think you are. He does. He knows your motives. He knows what's behind your thoughts, your feelings, the things you do, the things you don't do. He knows all of that. And here's the truth about Jesus. He's sitting across a table from you right now, and he's not leaving the room. He's hearing and seeing the worst in you. He's looking in your eyes, knowing all the things that you're, you're afraid to even say to him out loud. You've never said to anyone else out loud. And he goes, he's looking right at you in the eye and he's saying to you, I see all of that. Breaks my heart for you. But I love you. I'm not going anywhere. I'm in this. You're in this. You're a part of my story. You're a part of this relationship that I've called you to. That's the life we've been called to. That's the third day reality that we live in. And I gotta tell you, it's hard to believe sometimes that this is true. That Jesus knows me. I'll just say it for myself that Jesus knows me. He knows what I've done. He knows who I am. Knows what I'm capable of. Knows how I'm going to fail him tomorrow and the next day and still looks me in the eye and go, I love you. I love you. I'm here. I'm with you. You're a part of my story. And right here in our text, the author himself, Paul, isn't just a theologian, isn't just a, 
a guy from the New Testament who writes a bunch of letters. He's a guy who actually experienced this. His letters are not written just to write good theology. His letters are written from a theological standpoint, a good solid doctrinal standpoint, but they're also from an experiential reality. Paul experienced the forgiveness of Jesus. Paul experienced the post-resurrection of Christ. And as, as Paul was a man who says, hey, I'm unworthy. I'm unworthy to even be a, an apostle. I'm the least of all these guys. I think it's in verse 9. He goes, I'm unworthy to be even considered among this group. I was the guy, Paul's saying, when I was Saul, I was rounding y'all up. You people who were preaching the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus, I was rounding you up so I could put you on trial and you could be executed for the very horrendous thought that you were actually preaching. Paul says, I shouldn't even be included in this. And then he lands in verse 10 and he goes, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And this grace toward me was not in vain. Folks, read those words from the depth of, a, of, of the man, of the gut of a man who's going, by the grace of God. That's who I was. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And it's his grace toward me was not in vain. Paul experienced the forgiveness of Jesus and the work that was accomplished for him on the cross. This grace poured over his life, evidenced by the risen, living Jesus. And here's what Paul experienced as well as others. And I, I hope and praise our experience. The third day followers see our story in his redemption story. We see our story in his, not, not his story in mine, not the other way around, but we would see our story in his. It's a significant differentiation. God's story has been unfolding over history. Paul speaks to the church and he's saying to them in Corinth, he points them to the truth of the resurrection. And yet these followers, these believers in the church of Corinth were starting to rewrite the story. They were rewriting the script. They were saying, yeah, we believe that you've been resurrected. We're not sure those who've died have been resurrected, not even sure that we'll be resurrected. And Paul goes, no, your doctrine's got to be clear about this. Your doctrine's got to be pure about this. You can't just base the story or what you believe to be true about God on some feeling or emotion you might have in any given day or week. Don't we all have emotions and feelings? There's things I thought about five years ago I would stake my life on. Today, I don't even care about. Same with you. Your feelings and emotions will change. What you believe to be true or not true, that, that can differentiate depending on the time and space and life you find yourself in. And Paul's going, you can't base your life, you can't base your story on the story of God on your feelings and emotions. And he, and he hits it pretty hard. He goes back to doctrine. He says to these folks who are wrestling with the resurrection, just like we do sometimes, I think there's folks in, in our midst who go, well, I don't know. If, if God's a love, why would he, if God's a God of love, why, why would he allow, if God is just, then why doesn't he, and we start coming to these conclusions and ideas about who God is. We create our own doctrinal reality. We create our own narrative, our own story about God based on what we think and feel. Same with these folks here. Wrestling with the resurrection. And Jesus takes them back where? Actually, Paul takes them back where? He takes them back not to his thoughts or feelings, not to his personal beliefs or not, but, but, but to the word itself. Again, the very words that we underlined a few moments ago, the heart of the gospel, he says Twice over, he goes, in accordance with the scriptures, Jesus died for your sins. In accordance with the scriptures, you've been raised to life. This is the truth that the Old Testament has pointed to, that Jesus would come and be raised to life. In accordance with the scriptures, good thinking and good doctrine. Have a right mind about it. And he drills this thing home in chapter, uh, verse 12 and following. He says, now if Christ, proclaimed, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... How can, you, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? And I love how he speaks. He speaks, it's, it, you have to stay with it. It feels like it's almost a riddle, but you've got to stay with each word. He goes, but if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. 
We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom if he did not raise Christ from the dead, then none are raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. You following this? And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. He says, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, your faith's a waste of time. You're wasting your time. Don't give yourselves to this thing. And you're still in your sins. Back on the cross. Never took place for you. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if, Christ, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, then we're of all people to be pitied. If this is just for this life, then we're of all people to be pitied. And Paul's saying this redemption story that you're a part of now, the story that you're now enveloped into, isn't just a story in how you live in this life, but it's a story in how you're going to live in the life to come. Our hope is in this life and in the life to come. As Christ has been resurrected, so shall we. Folks, this is our story. As Christ was resurrected physically, so shall we. So shall we be resurrected physically. Third day followers see our story in his redemption story. We take our truths, our doctrinal correctness from his doctrinal correctness and his truths. And yet most of us see ourselves, if we're really honest about this, we see ourselves really as the main character in the story. We're either our own hero, our own hero or our own victim. When we tell our story, it's about how great we are or how awful things have happened to us. We, and, and that still puts us in the central place in all of our own stories. And, and what he's calling us to is, yeah, you have a story, but your story is enveloped into his. In fact, if you really look at the scriptures, I don't see any paragraph. You could say maybe there's a story about Mark because there's a book of Mark, but not about me, not about me at all. And there's probably no book about you. And yet, I think the only mention we get in the Bible, and you theologians can correct me if, if I'm wrong, but your name gets written in the Lamb Book of Life. That, that's your addition to the scriptures. Your, your name one day will be written in the book of life. And, and when you ex experience glory in heaven, it's because your name was written there, because you've given your heart to Jesus. That's our part in the story. And yet we often make the story about God joining our life rather than our, ours joining his. And all throughout the scriptures, we see people who are caught up in a story. And, and I, love, I love how Paul talks about um, the evidences for the resurrection, you know, Jesus appeared, but then he appeared to a bunch of folks. He appeared to Cephas, he appeared to the 12, he appeared to 500, and then he appears to James, and then it, finally he appears to Paul, the one unworthy of them all. But think about it for a moment. I, I sat in this for a, a day or two this past week. He appeared to James. You knew who James was? James was the brother of Jesus. He appeared to James. Get this. Anybody have an estranged relative that you got back together with? You couldn't be any more estranged than James was with Jesus. The last time I think we, we've heard of James and we've got a grasp of who James was, James was among Jesus' brothers when Jesus was kind of, in their minds, like tiltering tilt, on going up to Jerusalem. They go, no, go on up to Jerusalem. Expose yourself. They wanted him to be stepping into the world in which he is claiming to be something that they didn't believe him to be. His brothers thought Jesus to be a fraud. They go, you're a fraud. Go, go on out in public. Go do your public ministry. They were trying to set him up for the ridicule and the exposure that they wanted him to experience. James was a part of that. And I can't imagine James or his brothers had, had the week, the Passion Week, the week that we call Easter in mind, when they were encouraging Jesus to go on up because they wanted Jesus to be exposed, and Jesus was exposed. Jesus went up into Jerusalem and talked about who he was. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he was killed for it. He was ridiculed, he was mocked, he was beaten, he was hung on a tree, and he died for it. I can't imagine this is what James and his brothers were hoping that Jesus would experience as they sent him out. 
hey, go do your public thing. As they wanted him to be exposed and revealed. And Jesus was exposed, hung naked. Naked, fully exposed on the cross. That, that can't be where they thought this would lead. And here on this side of the resurrection, James's story is now caught up in Jesus' story. He says, he appeared to all these. He appeared to James. There's a lot of times where I love to be a fly on the wall. I would love to have experienced that conversation. Can you imagine James looking in the eyes of Jesus? I thought you were a fraud. I thought you were a lunatic. I thought you were crazy to believe and think that you were who you said you were. Turns out, you're not just my brother. You're the Savior. Turns out, all that you said was true. Turns out, what you said you did for us on the cross, you did because you've come back and you've appeared before me as no one else has ever done and proved to be true. What a beautiful picture. And if you know a little bit about the New Testament, you know James was a pretty significant person as we move into Acts, as the early church began, as Jesus said, it's better that I leave here because he could only be physically present in one space, but it's better that I leave here so that I can send the Holy Spirit to be with you. And the Holy Spirit came upon the early church. And, and those who've given their lives to Jesus are now filled with the Holy Spirit. James now has the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus living in him. And if you look at the New Testament in Acts, you can see in the story of the, uh, of the early church in Acts, the church exploded. This redemption story took off in a space like never before. James, the brother of Jesus, found himself caught up in the story, caught up in the redemption story. And it's our story too. This is where we're caught up in. We're, we're, we're caught up in a bigger story than us. I think that should be a relief to you. Sometimes we make it all about us. Isn't it great that it actually isn't? Wouldn't it be great if it really didn't matter all the things that we think are so important that the bigger story isn't about what's going on in my life. The bigger story is what's going on in the life of God and the redemption story he's got and his plan at work in, in the life of his church, the, the, the very story we get to be a part of. Third-day followers live in a, res a, re a resurrection reality of Jesus. Folks, that's where we live. We live in a resurrection reality of Jesus. And Paul goes a little further. If you thought the last time the words get um, difficult to follow, hang with me. In verse 20, he says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead and is the first fruits of all those who have fallen asleep. Truth, doctrine, he has been raised from the dead. For as by a man came death... By man came also the resurrection of the dead. As, for, as in Adam, all die. So also in Christ, all shall be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God and the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. He's saying, here's the deal. The resurrection has come through Christ. We're now alive in him. And now our our, our our sole desire is to live under the reign and rule of Jesus. And then he points to the future. But he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it's plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. Meaning Jesus is accepted from that. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him. Who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all and in all. Anybody confused? Don't be. What he's actually saying is the reign and rule has come, in, has come in the person of Christ. It's the reign and rule as third day people that we've already submitted ourselves to. And what he's saying is the day will come when Christ will physically come back. And this reign and rule that you and I know, this kingdom of God that's already but not yet, is going to be yet. The day will come when Christ is going to reign. All things will be made right. That's what Paul's pointing at. That's the resurrection. That's the reality that we're called to and are a part of. 
Third day followers live in the resurrection reality of Jesus. We live under his reign and rule. And he actually gives us some, some encouragement. Well, what does that look like? What does it look like for me to be a third day follower and to live under the reign and rule of Jesus today? Because it matters today. We'll talk about what's coming in a minute, but it matters how we live today. We're not just supposed to come to Christ and wait for glory, but we're supposed to live in this resurrection third day reality that Jesus has provided for us. And, and Paul is filled with, with great antidotes, doctrine, letters to show us exactly how to live. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, my all-time favorite portion of Scripture. I don't know if you're supposed to have a favorite. It's my favorite. It's my go-to place. And in Colossians chapter 3, he, he gives very clear distinctives, very clear directives. How do we live as third-day people? Colossians 3 says he instructs us as third-day people how to live this resurrection reality. He says, if you've been raised with Christ... If you've been raised with Christ, which he's already said that we have been, if we've been raised with Christ, he says, then seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. If you've been raised with Christ, then, then, then fix your mind, your heart on Christ. Seek the things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ appears, who is your life, you're going to appear with him in glory. So until that time comes, seek the things that are above. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, evil desires. All, and there's a list of stuff that we're to kill and put to death. And he says, he says those things should no longer have sway in your life. Those things should no, no longer have the control in your life. And if you're like me, sometimes those things sneak up and sneak back in, Right? I love that line, sneak attack. I feel like I get sneak attacked so often by the things I thought were already put to dead, put to death. And he says, put those things to death. And we can talk a lot about that, but what I want to focus on is the excitement that he calls us to. Yeah, those things were who I was. He goes, I want you to put on these things. Put on these things. And I'm going to slow my voice down a half a second, a half a pace, so you can actually catch these. We're, we're to live and put these things on, and hear me, hear me, not in our own strength, you can't do this in your own strength. You can only do this. You can only put to death the old things and put on the new things and the power that's been given to us by the Holy Spirit, Christ alive in you. This is where we find the strength to do this. And he says, put on then as God's chosen ones. You've been chosen, pursued. God saw you, knew you, and, and has assured that he's with you. As God's chosen ones, holy. He's made you holy by what he's done on the cross. And folks, you are beloved, beloved by God. If you don't get that now, you're never going to get it. We're beloved by God. So therefore, he says, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ, the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. The word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanks, thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Folks, this is the third day reality. This is the resurrection life. This is the life that God died to give us. 
and is empowering us to live as third-day people who've been raised to life. Let me just say, it's a fight every day. I know you, you might look at that list, and if you're like me, it's overwhelming. I look at that list, and I go, ah, I've teetered on some of those things sometimes at some point in my life, but, but I don't know that this would represent me. If I were to die today and they laid my body here, no one would probably get up and read these words about me and say, this, this definitely is, that, that's who that was. This is a fight every day, is it not? It's a fight and a battle every day. And this is where I feel like I'm coming out of this space in my mind. I'm coming out of this space going, is it just me? Am I the only one that struggles with this? Am I the only one that finds the, 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 the Christian life to be a hard life to live? I really did believe, I honestly goodness believe that the older you got, the easier this thing would become. And some of you older people just snickered because you know, it's not easier. In fact, the older I've gotten, the more difficult this has become. It's hard work to live the Christian life. It's hard work to make my life look like Jesus' life. It's hard work for me to still take off the old and put on the new. It's hard work for me to believe what Jesus did for me on the cross covered every last ounce of every sin and shame that ever could ever make a mark in my life. It, it's, it's an everyday reality that I have to come back to, that this is real, that Jesus is real. That's the third day reality. And here's where I find the strength to do it. Not in my thinking, not in my abilities, but in the power and the work of the Holy Spirit residing in me. God, that's our hope. That's our hope, folks. That's the only way we can live this life. And thank God he's provided us a way and a way through it. And I'll go one step further. This week's been rough for me. I don't know if it's because of what I'm speaking on this weekend, but man, I, I woke up 133, 34, 35, 30 almost every night this week. I'm exhausted. I'm completely, you can't, at my age, you can't lose hours of sleep. You have to put hour per hour back. My mind's been racing and turning. And, and, and what happened in my world, in my life, I started playing old tapes, old narratives that, that once defined me. Tapes I thought were dead, like tapes back from the 80s. The 80s weren't great for anybody, right? I mean, but tapes that were, but playing back in my head these narratives that were playing and taking me back and, and, and wanting me to believe something to be true about me that's not true, that the cross said it wasn't true, and the resurrection of Christ also says it's not true. Folks, I want to be a man like Paul, and I want us to be men and women like Paul who go, by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God poured into my life, I'm not perfect. I'm far from it. I'm moving toward Jesus every day, every step I can take toward Christ. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, I want to live the life he's called me to live. And Paul doesn't leave us there. As hard and difficult as this life is, God meets us in us. The Spirit meets us in it. But, but here's the joy that I think we set our hope on. As Christ has been raised to life physically, so shall we. This physical body will be raised to life. There's a lot of books written on heaven. I went to a movie this past week about heaven. There's a lot to be said about heaven. I don't know what you think. It's great to think about it and understand it and all, but I'm just a simple guy. Here's what I'm excited about when we get to heaven. Once I get past the gate, and I know it's back here, I'm in. And not that I'm questioning that my good works got me there, but, but being in, you're gonna, if, when you get in and you're, you know, you're dancing on the streets of gold, you look back by the gate, I'll be in this heap of mess, in, in, in a weeping, ugly cry mess. Not because I was wondering if I'd make it in, but for me, the battle will finally be over. It'll be over. These thorns in my flesh, Paul had one, I got six. These thorns in my flesh, they, they might leave a scar, but they're done. The things that are unresolved, done. The things in my mind and my heart, the narratives I play, done, 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 done. Christ said, all, all will 
Call upon the name of the Lord. Those who've lived under his reign and rule, us third day people who are followers of Jesus. And then he says one more thing. He says the whole world will bow down. All that subjection, 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 the whole world will be subject to Jesus, our King, our Lord, the Redeemer. The redemption story will have its completion in the new heavens and in the new earth, in a space where I'm going to be and you're going to be physically present with Jesus for all of eternity. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's get a bus and go now, right? Let's do this thing. God's redemption story, we're a part of it. We've been drawn into it. It defines who we are. It defines why we're here. And it defines where this thing's going. So what would it look like for us this week as we move into Easter week, as we really move in toward next weekend to be a people who are third day resurrection people? So I want to I give you a, a few next steps. And the first two, we're going to check off here. So you only have one extra next step as you move into the week. Here's the first next step. Let's ask ourselves this question. Let's spend a moment or two in prayer before we get up and walk out of these spaces here and across our other campuses and ask God this question. I love that we get to talk to God publicly and personally. Let's ask God this question. Whose story do I believe I'm living? How you answer that question has everything to do with how you're going to live this week, how you're living your life. And and I'll lie to me. You might think you know the answer right off the bat. I'm going to ask you to be open enough to ask God and allow God to answer that question. It, he'll just say, you or me? <laughs> am I living in your narrative or am I inviting you to mine? Let's pray. God, as we open our hearts and our minds to you right now, would, would you answer this question for us, each of us individually? God, whose story are we live in? Whose story do we see ourselves in? Whose story do we believe we're in? And with that answer, God, would you show us where and how you're calling me to live like a third-day follower? Where and how are you calling me to live like a third-day follower? I'm going to give you a moment or two to answer this question. Ask God this question. Listen for an answer. And if this is new to you, um, I just encourage you to write down the first thing that comes to mind. Make Make a mental note of it jot it in your phone you say well that sounds like my voice maybe it's God speaking through your voice but God where are you calling me to live like a third day follower God, however you're speaking to us right now, give us the courage uh, internally within ourselves to step into it. God, meet us by the power and work of your very spirit to be the very men and women you call us to be. Whatever that next step is for each of us, God, may this week not pass with us not stepping into it. God, we thank you for the power. Um, The same power that raised Christ from the dead, Paul says, lives and dwells within us. We're not left to do this on our own but in the powerful presence and reality that you've risen and your spirit is alive and well in us. God, help us to live the life you've called us to. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. This week, one more next step. You only got one to do. Pick my favorite passage of scripture. Sit in and settle in a little bit to Colossians chapter three, verses one through 17. Use it as a guide 
to pray through. Use it as a guide to allow the Holy Spirit, God himself, to speak into your world and into your life to help you and help us to continue to take off the old and to put on the new. There's no better way for us to end a service like this than to stand and praise our risen King. Let's stand and worship together.